tonight on Huckabee. Senator Lindsey Graham on D.C. corruption, Charles Mizrahi and capitalism, and it's music and rodeo with Shea Fisher and Tyson Durkin. Thank you very much. I don't know if you caught that, but at the end of the theme, Trey Coley and the Music City Connection burst into a little bit of jump by Van Halen. Now, we're doing that because earlier this week, Eddie Van Halen passed away at the age of 65 of cancer, having battled it a long time. So our tribute to one of the great guitar players of all time, Eddie Van Halen. And maybe we can get him to play some more a little later. Hey. We have a special guest announcer. You heard him just a moment ago. The amazing Larry Gatlin is here. Would you give him a big hand? Hey, Larry, we are glad you could be here tonight. Thank you for showing up and filling in for our beloved Keith Bilbrey. Well, thank you very much. You know, during this pandemic thing, it's not like people are just banging the door down to get us <laughs> to come go someplace and sing music. <laughs> so uh, it's always great to see you, uh, Gov, and I'm uh, honored to be here, and I'll try not to, uh, you know, mess up. Yeah, don't mess this up, Larry. We all need the work, okay? That's right. We all need the work. Uh, and we're glad, glad to have this great studio audience here in our theater. And thank you for watching from home. All right, look, the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett of the Supreme Court by President Trump has caused the left to set their hair on fire, rip their shirts, and howl at the moon like wolves. Yeah. They, they are attacking the fact that she not only is a strong Christian, but they can't stand that her beliefs are serious enough that they actually affect her behavior. You know, there's something I don't understand much. Some of the Democrats who are having a hissy fit because of her faith also claim to be Catholic just like her. But unlike Amy Coney Barrett, they defy their own church's teaching on the sanctity of life, biblical marriage, and religious liberty, even supporting the Democrat mandate that the Little Sisters of the Poor, a Catholic order sworn to assist those in poverty, would be required to provide abortion services in their health care plan. Make sure you get that. Catholic nuns, most of whom are over 60 years old and who vow not to marry or have intimate relations, were being ordered by the government under President Obama to be provided with birth control and abortion services. You got that? It's kind of like forcing Pentecostals to take a vow of silence. <laughs> are having Episcopalians to take a pledge of temperance, are asking Baptists to pledge never to gossip. I just split the crowd in here, I'm pretty sure. Well, during Judge Barrett's confirmation hearings to be on the appeals court in 2017, Senator Dianne Feinstein actually told her that the dogma is strong in you, basically meaning it's one thing to claim to have religion, but we don't want you to actually take it seriously. You see, the real issue liberals are afraid of is abortion. 
and the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that created right out of thin air a right to kill an unborn child. And since that dark day, over 60 million babies were killed in what should have been the safest place in the world for them, their mother's womb. 60 million. But if the liberals are so convinced that the court was right in that decision and that it was constitutional back then, why would they be worried about it being overturned now? That is, unless they deep down know it wasn't constitutional. But what many people don't seem to realize is that the overturning of Roe v. Wade would not end abortion. No, it really wouldn't. It would simply make the legality of it an issue for each state to settle. Now, in some states, like my home state of Arkansas, it would be prohibited altogether because some of us worked really hard to amend the Arkansas Constitution to recognize life from conception. But in some states, like New York, California, abortion would still be allowed, might even be more of them. I've said for years that for those of us who are really pro-life, reversing Roe v. Wade is not the Holy Grail. What would be important, and frankly, more in keeping with the Constitution, is that we would do something that liberals say they want. We would follow the science. Because if we really did that, you know what we'd do? We'd recognize that at the moment of conception, 23 male and 23 female chromosomes unite in the creation of a unique human being whose DNA is not identical to the mother or father. And then we would identify from that moment that these truths are self-evident, that the baby is equal to the rest of us, and it is endowed by its creator with unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what would be life-changing. And that little person, a person, would be guaranteed under the 5th and 14th Amendments a right to due process, and could not be deprived of life or liberty without it. Amy Coney Barrett is well qualified to be on the Supreme Court, and it's not her legal qualifications that scare the Democrats. It's that she takes her faith in both the Constitution and the Bible seriously. You see, I don't think that disqualifies her. It makes her just the kind of person needed on the court, and for that matter, in the rest of government. <laughs> Senator Lindsey Graham has more than a plateful these days as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's still fighting to learn the truth about wrongdoing and the highest levels of government intelligence back in 2016, all which were a part of an effort to take down then-candidate Donald Trump. Well, I sat down with Lindsey Graham this week to talk about all of this plus a very tight race for him in South Carolina, and whether or not Amy Coney Barrett will be Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett and before Election Day. Here's my conversation with Senator Lindsey Graham. Senator, when you sat down, I, I swear I saw a target on your back. It looked like a big bullseye. <laughs> uh, you have been targeted more than any other U.S. Senator in this election cycle. What has made you so popular, my friend? 
Uh, they hate my guts. <laughs> Every liberal in Hollywood is trying to turn South Carolina into California. My opponent's going to raise $100 million. Goodness. What's this about? Kavanaugh's revenge? I stood up for Kavanaugh, a great man who was trying to have his life ruined, and I fought back, and I dare help President Trump. The unpardonable sin of American politics is to try to help President Trump. Those two things have led to my race being the most expensive race, maybe in the history of the United States Senate. Uh, if you can help me with five or ten bucks to fight back <laughs> against Hollywood, lindsaygram.com. The Lord wants 10 percent. I'll take five bucks. lindsaygram.com. <laughs> I, you know, I'm being somewhat facetious, but honestly, I do think your race is the single most expensive Senate race. Yeah. I've never seen a senator that has been targeted yeah. to the degree you have with the amount of money, and especially for an opponent that, if it weren't for the hate toward you, <laughs> would not be that strong an opponent. Uh, that's an understatement. He's a fine fellow, but he's never served a day in office. This is hate money, and here's what I believe. Love conquers hate, mm. that the money that's being given to beat me is driven by hate, and those who are praying for me uh, counteract the money. Uh, please pray for me, pray for the people of South Carolina, pray for our president. Mike, I'm excited. I'm excited about the fact that $100 million is not close enough to buy South Carolina <laughs> and turn it into a socialist enclave. I'm, I'm excited about President Trump's reelection. He's done a heck of a job. He's been the best pro-life president in my lifetime. Great for the military. So they've got all the money in the world. We just have the best ideas. It's significant that you are at the center of two of the most significant stories <laughs> happening in Washington right now as chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I, for one, am very glad you're yeah. there because I feel like that the leadership Thank that you. you're giving is critical. Let's first discuss one of the big stories. Last week, James Comey testified. Uh, revelations <laughs> have come out of the uh, director of national intelligence that now show, without yeah. doubt, that high-level FBI and intel officials mm -hmm. targeted President Trump in the summer of 2016 when he was a candidate. Will anyone pay the price for what they did, which was illegal, unethical, and absolutely immoral? Well, Mike, that's a good question. If people are not fired and if people don't go to jail, they'll do this again. Yeah. Now, if they can do it to Trump, what could they do to me and you? And it's a Republican today. It could be a Democrat tomorrow. So what did we learn from the testimony of Jim Comey? He apparently was a part-time employee at the FBI. He must have a job at the 7-Eleven because he didn't know anything. I almost asked him, do you have a TV? Do you read the paper? He didn't know that the Russian subsource that prepared the Steele dossier was thought by the FBI to be a Russian spy. He didn't know Christopher Steele, who was hired by the Democratic Party to dig up dirt on Donald Trump, hated Donald Trump. He didn't know that the FBI and the CIA believed that the Russian dossier was Russian disinformation. He clearly didn't know anything about those things exculpatory to Carter Page, helpful to Donald Trump, but he knew everything uh, that was against Trump. So I found it to be astonishing. It was disgusting. It was sad to hear the FBI director to claim he knew nothing about the most abusive investigation in the history of the FBI since J. Edgar Hoover. How high did this go? Did this go all the way to the White House? Here, here's what I can tell you, Mike. I can tell you that in January the 4th, uh, Mr. Barnett, the case agent, 
wanted to drop the case against General Flynn because he mm -hmm. said there's no evidence that General Flynn is working with the Russians. January the 5th, Comey meets with Obama and Biden in the White House. They keep the investigation going. I can tell you this, that the CIA director briefed President Obama in July of 2016 about a uh, intercept regarding Russian intelligence alleging that Hillary Clinton had, had approved a plan to link Donald Trump to Russia as part of her campaign. I can tell you that in September, the intelligence community sent over a lead to the FBI saying that they picked up information that Hillary Clinton was trying to accuse Donald Trump of working with the Russians to take heat off her for the email and server problem that she had. And James Comey said, never heard of it, doesn't ring a bell. It's hard to believe that Obama didn't know about this when he was briefed by the CIA in July of 2016. And I know for sure in January 2017, he kept the investigation against Flynn going when the FBI professionals wanted to end it. I'm glad you're pursuing it. Somebody has to. Let's uh, change the subject. The other huge story, and that's the confirmation hearings for <laughs> Supreme Court Justice nominee Amy Coney Barrett. It, it seems like, Senator, uh, that the attack on her is not her qualifications. It's that she's too much of a Christian. I've never heard of anything so ridiculous in my life. How will you approach this during the confirmation hearings? Well, the Constitution is on Amy's side. You know, this country was founded by people fleeing religious oppression, living under the thumb of the king, and the first thing they wanted to do is to make sure that every American has free exercise of their faith and make sure that the government didn't establish a religion like they did in England. And also there's a provision in the Constitution, Mike, that says there shall be no religious test when it comes to serving your government. So this idea that anybody would hold her faith against her is not only wrong, it's unconstitutional. And Democrats attack Amy Barrett's religion at their own peril. She's a devout Catholic. She's raising seven kids. She can handle seven kids. She can hands, <laughs> handle Senate Judiciary Democrats. She has nothing to apologize for. Here's the one thing I promise you, that she will not take her faith and make law based on her faith. She will make the law based on the statute written and the constitutional provisions as written. But it is okay to be religious in America and the day it's not, God help us all. You were stellar in the Kavanaugh hearings. You boldly you. took on the other side and you told them that if they pushed this, they would rue the day. Do you think they now rue the day? <laughs> Well, they brought us together unlike anybody else. Judge Kavanaugh was a wonderful man. They tried to destroy his life to keep the seat open. If they do this to Amy Barrett, it will backfire like it did with Kavanaugh. And to your audience, I promise you that we're going to move forward on this nomination. We're gonna have a hearing starting October the 22nd. We're gonna report her to the floor October the 22nd, and we'll get this fine lady confirmed before the election because the Constitution allows it. And if the shoe were on the other foot, the Democrats sure as heck would do it. No doubt about that. Senator, it's great to see you. Thank you. And uh, I hope Thank folks you. will uh, jump in and help you. Great to have you with us. All the best. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you can follow the senator on social media at Lindsey Graham SC. Also, visit his campaign website, lindseygraham.com. That's where you can contribute to him and learn more about him.
We have our wonderful guest announcer, Larry Gatlin, with us today, filling in for Keith Bilbrey, and he's going to fill you in on our great lineup today. So, Larry, take it away. Hey, tonight, Common Sense Money Tips with Charles Mizrahi from the film Never Again, Kasim Hafiz and Irving Roth, and later, comedian Ron Pearson. More Huckabee is on the way. Next week, former NFL player Ben Watson and country music artist John Rich perform. And welcome back. Charles Mizrahi is one of the top investment gurus in America, but he is kind of worried about how many young people are rejecting capitalism for the false promises of socialism. So he launched the American Prosperity Campaign and is making a biblical case for capitalism. Thank you so much for joining us, Charles. Your book is called Getting Started to Value Investing. What is value investing? What does that even mean? Well, Governor, value investing is pretty simple. You try to buy a dollar bill for 50 cents. It's what you do every time you go into a supermarket. Uh, you don't go to the counter and, and say, well, Apples went up in price this week. I'm so happy I want to buy more. Or if they go down in price, you say, I don't want them. You do the exact opposite. Hmm. When things go down in value, in price, you want to buy them because you're getting greater value. Do so people need to invest right now? This is a crazy economic time. Is this a good time to invest or a bad time to invest? It's always a great time. The stock market is the greatest wealth creator. Uh, think about this. You could be partners. That's really what a stock is. A stock is a piece of a business. You can be partners with any company you want because when you own a, a share, you're owning a piece of that business. Yeah. So you have your choice. And what do you need to do to buy one share of Walmart back 40 years ago or one share of Amazon? Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, I wouldn't have <laughs> to ever work again if I just owned a little bit of what right. they were worth back then. But, you know, there are people who say, oh, the stock market, it goes up and down. I know people who... I mean, they look at the stock market like every hour or even every day. That didn't even seem reasonable to me. It, is it reasonable to worry about it on a daily basis? No. It's, let's say you own the shoe store. Uh, would you, all of a sudden at 10 o'clock, no customers come in the store, you say, I'm going to sell the business, and then all of a sudden at 11 o'clock, come, some come in, I want to buy it back? <laughs> Ridiculous. When you own a piece of a business, or what a stock really is, you're looking for the long term, the next five and 10 years. That's when you make the real wealth. That's when the business starts to develop. And if you buy it at the right price, it's pretty hard not to make money. Now, a lot of times people thought, well, the stock market, that's for really, really rich people. But now most people, they may not even realize it, but they are invested in the stock market. Teachers who are retired, policemen who are retired, all kinds of people through all kinds of circumstances. Their 401k is directly tied sure. to the value of the stock market. So, right. Uh, do you tell them, relax, don't worry about it? Yeah, because think about this. Over the long term, really what you're buying is a piece of the GDP of the United States. Nobody has ever made money shorting the United States. Uh, the United States is the most unique country ever on the face of the earth. Uh, it has produced more wealth than any other nation. We live at a, at a standard that, that our grandparents would have just dreamed of. Yeah. Uh, think about that. We all have running water in our homes that's clean. We have toilets, sanitation, basic things that most people in the world don't have. And our economy continues to do well. Even now, even during COVID, uh, the country shut down 
and the economy's picking back up again. We have a robust economy, and over the past 100 years, the economy continues to do well, the country continues to come back, and business gets stronger. Charles, you, you are one of the advocates that say, and a lot of it in your book, about that socialism is not a good idea, and young people are buying in on it. Maybe they're being taught this by their college professors. Just in a nutshell, what's wrong with the idea of socialism and what's so right about capitalism? Isn't that all based on greed and, and something very evil? No. Well, if you're talking about socialism, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I agree there. Uh, capitalism is not about greed. Capitalism was never the problem. It's a solution. Capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty in the past 40 to 50 years than anything else. And think about this. Where is socialism working? Where is it working? Never has. So, so why are we going to a failed, even looking at a failed, uh, a way of where the state controls everything, uh, the state dictates what you get? If, if, you, if you love your post office, you love socialism. You know, it, it, that, that's really it. If you, if you uh, this country is built on, on freedom and opportunity, uh, the individual's rights, the ability that I can go tomorrow and open up a business, and I, whatever I make, I get to keep. And I can give back to society in any way I can. Where is there a better system? I challenge you to find me a better system. You talk about capitalism from a biblical perspective. A lot of people would say, well, the Bible doesn't speak to any economic system. It's neutral. Is it neutral? If we look, for example, wealth. Wealth was always viewed as a blessing. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King Solomon are all blessed with wealth. Now, it's not wealth for hoarding. It's wealth for taking care of others in society. For example, uh, Deuteronomy 15.11. It's, the Bible knew exactly. It says there will always be poor in the land, but it's your responsibility to open your hand to your fellow Israelite. Mm. It's our And that's what we have done in this country for the past 244 years. It's, it's houses of faith, uh, clubs, associations. We've taken care. Every, every church and synagogue had soup kitchens and took care of the unfortunate. We didn't rely on government to do that. So the, the, the Bible has a system in place where for the downtrodden, for the, for the, for the uh, widow, the orphan, the stranger, those who don't have any social network, there was, if you had a field, you couldn't, you couldn't cut the corners of your field. That was for them. Hmm. The gleanings, when the reaper would come and, and, and take his sickle and some gleanings would fall, you had to leave them. They were for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. The book of Ruth. What is hmm. Ruth doing? She's yeah. in the field of Boaz, collecting those and goes back to Noah and says, wow, look at the way the Lord has blessed us. So there was an economic system in place to take care of the underbelly of society, but wealth was to be used to make the world a better place. Well, I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the world is a better place because of the United States of America and because we are able to uh, pick our own profession and we can... Uh, own property, and we could start businesses, as you said. It's a great, great book, Getting Started to Value Investing. My thanks to Charles for joining us. You can find the book, Getting Started in Value Investing, on Amazon. And also for all his latest articles, financial services, and more, visit his website. It's called alphainvestornow.com. And follow Charles Ms. Guru on Twitter. By the way, Larry Gatlin is our show's guest announcer tonight, and He's going to tell us what we've invested in this show tonight. Larry? Up next, Kasim Hafiz and Irving Ross' unlikely friendship. Then the comedy of Ron Pearson, plus rodeo star Tyson Durfee and country music singer Shea Fisher. Don't go away.
GovMikeHuckabee.com. Sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. There's a powerful new documentary. It's called Never Again. Tells the surprising story of a former radical Islamist and anti-Semite whose life was radically changed when he met a survivor of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. We welcome to the show the subjects of this inspiring film. In studio with us is Kasim Hafiz, and coming to us remotely from New York is Irving Roth. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Kasim, let me begin with you. You grew up uh, with very radical views. You weren't exactly somebody that was all that uh, cordial uh, to the Jewish people. What changed in your life? Yeah, I was, I guess it's awkward to say, but an anti-Semite. I was anti-Semitic, I was anti-Western, um, just from the ideas I grew up around. And when I was at my most radical on this, at, uh, at college, at a UK, at a British college, not in Damascus or yeah. Cairo, at the point where I decided that I want to now commit an act of violence, like terrorism is the way forward, and I was looking at avenues to explore, looking at terrorist groups that I could possibly go to a terrorist training camp, I came across a book which challenged everything I believed, and that then led me through a, a series of events to actually go to Israel. And mm. I was in security for eight hours, mm. and it was a little self-inflicted, <laughs> yeah. a little naive, never yeah. have traveled abroad. And when they asked me the purpose of my visit, I was very honest. I said, look, I'm a little anti-Semitic, <laughs> kind of anti-Israel, so I thought I'd come and see it for myself. So that was the start point. Yeah, uh, I could see that that would kind of uh, create a little bit of confusion at the border, no question about that. But they did let me in eventually after, after a lot of questioning. But it was incredible for me to see everything that I believed. These weren't opinions I had. Yeah. These were truths to me that Israel was apartheid, Israel was racist, and all these hateful things. And to see it essentially dismantled in front of my eyes. Nobody was telling me, no, 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 this is the truth. I was seeing it. Hmm. And that was, that was difficult. Irving, I, I want to bring you into the conversation. You were at Auschwitz in Buchenwald, and, and I, I've visited Auschwitz three times. I can't even imagine that anyone survived it. The fact that you did says an enormous amount about God's power in your life and his protection of you. Did you have, as you came out of that experience, um, a disdain toward other people who did not understand you as a Jew? Not so much a disdain. Uh, I just knew that anti-Semitism was real, but you can't get any more real than Auschwitz. And uh, I realized that. And the objective was to uh, come out of there and become a human being and considered by other people to be a human being. That was the objective is to be able to go back into society and both behave and be people behave towards me as if I am a human being rather than this uh, vermin. Mm. Uh, Kasim, the two of you have now collaborated on a documentary called Never Again, yeah. documenting the Holocaust, how awful, how horrible it was. Honestly, I'm sitting here thinking, the last person I'm thinking that would be involved in a documentary in the Holocaust would be a person who grew up as a radical Islamist. So how did the two of you connect and end up working on this documentary? So fast forward uh, 
seven years from my first trip to Israel. Uh, I leave the UK, just so many problems there because of my beliefs, I guess. Your family disowned you, didn't they? Yeah, I was getting death threats regularly. I was getting threatened by complete strangers, just, you know, when I'm mm. buying groceries. So I moved to Canada and I, I decided that it was time to put that behind me. I believed that Israel had a legitimate right, that Israel was a light in the Middle East. We have to speak up against anti-Semitism, but I, I just kind of want a normal life. That's mm. where I was at. Yeah. And I get invited to do a speaking tour with Christians United for Israel. So I'm like, okay, I'll do this one last thing. <laughs> and that's where I met Irving. And meeting Irving, just the person that he is, his love of life, and through everything he's endured, the person he is, was inspiring. It, it was re-energized me and not reminded me, but was almost, a, uh, this is why you must speak up. And it changed the trajectory of what I do dramatically. Irving, how big of a surprise is it that one of the strongest supporters of Israel on the planet is the group of evangelical Christians that you see with Christians United for Israel, my friend John Hagee, who has headed that organization up, but, but historically, the strongest support. Were, were, was that a surprise? Is it a surprise to you? In many ways, it is. It's really a transformation uh, because Christianity represents the enemy camp. And to be invited, and that's what happened actually, I was invited to take a group of college students from the United States, evangelical Christian college students, to Poland. And I met them, and their theology, their understanding of what the Jews are, who they are, what they're trying to accomplish in, in life in general, in Israel in particular, uh, was a shock almost. I had to reread some of the material twice to ensure that I do not see a snake in the grass, so to speak. Why are they so nice? And fully understanding that their theology tells them that's what they should do. Hmm. And that certainly was a wonderful, amazing experience. That's, that's a beautiful testimony. I, I, I have to say to you, Kasim, and to Irving, you guys make me want to see this film. I think everybody who loves Israel who also has a real understanding that uh, God has a special place for this land, they're going to want to see this movie. What do you hope they get from it? We only have a few seconds, so uh, Kasim, I'm going to give you the last word. I, what do you hope they get from Never Again? I hope this is a rallying call, that they feel that they now have to speak up, and to my Christian brothers and sisters, it's directly speaking to you. Make Never Again a promise, make Never Again a guarantee. Let's stop this rising anti-Semitism. Let's stop it now. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. This is a film that everybody really does need to see. And you can see Never Again in select theaters on October the 13th and 15th. For more information, go to neveragainthemovie.com. All right, Larry Gatlin, let's say you tell the folks at home why they ought to stick around for the rest of the show. And they should. Next, stand-up comedian, Ron Pearson, then rodeo roping star Tyson Durfee, and country music singer Shay Fisher are right here on Huckabee. And we welcome you back to the music of Credence Clearwater Revival in the form of 
Trey Corley in the Music City Connection, a little song called Bad Moon Rising, which is the theme song for 2020. But let's give a big hand, not to the year, but to Trey Corley and the Music City Orchestra. Well, you have seen Ron Pearson on George Lopez, The Dennis Miller Show, The Late Late Show, and many more TV shows and movies. He also performs in theaters and churches as part of the Apostles of Comedy Tour. He's been nominated Corporate Comedian of the Year. I want you to welcome juggler and comic. Let's give it up for Ron Pearson. Thanks, Gov. What a good crowd. You guys ready to have some fun, yes? Y'all look good, man. I feel like I should tell you about myself. I'm the baby of eight children. Eight children, which is like a regular Catholic family or a really small Mormon family, I'm not sure. But God blessed me with great parents because two of the kids in my family were adopted. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But no, no, my, my parents never told us which, which two. That'll mess you up, man. I was talking that over with my brother, Lee Fong, and uh, he thought it was Abdul. I thought it was the twins. No one knows. So I've been married now 22 years. Yeah, no, no, not in a row, not in a row. Four wives, add it together, do the math. No, I, hey, I've been married 22 years to the same woman, and every guy in here knows that once you get married, gift giving is important. It's four gifts a year, right, guys? Birthday, anniversary, Christmas, Valentine's. You cannot get a bad gift that has to be top shelf or your head will roll, right, men? Yes, yes, so, so easy at the beginning of the marriage. Bang, look at that, bang, look at that. Eight years in, I ran out of ideas. I just, I, I got her such bad gifts, she's so mad, she's like, just give me cash. So this year, I wanted to get her something really good. I had no idea, 22 years. I asked her best friend, what should I get her? Her best friend changed how I thought. Her best friend said, get her something she would not get for herself. And I'm like, that's how I have to think, right? Get her something she would not get for herself, so. I got her a job, and uh, <laughs> I know, I felt the same way. I felt the same way. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, every guy in here, as soon as you get married, within the first 30 minutes, you say to yourself, within the first 30 minutes, did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And I said, I remember 22 years ago, I said, I got a good deal. And I lived 15 years of my life, but I got a good deal. And then God, this is true, this isn't even a joke. God opened my eyes seven years ago, he said, you did not get a good deal. He said, you know, I'm not joking. He said, you got the best woman on the planet. You could not have done better than the woman I gave you. And now I'm mad at myself for living 15 years of you got a good deal. I shortchanged her, I shortchanged me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can't even imagine being single again. I got her, I'm so happy. My buddy got married. My buddy got married one month after me. He just got divorced. He's like, well, I gotta get back out there. I'm like, yes, you do. He goes, I'm gonna get online. I go, you get online. <laughs> so he got online and he got matched with his ex-wife. <laughs> and they both lied about their age. I'm like, how do you do this? Do you like pina coladas? And getting caught in the rain? What's going on? So right after I got married, my stepfather came up and he gave me great advice. He said, son, marriage is like chess. And I'm like, that's horrible. So I'm trying to beat her? He's like, no, 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 you're on the same team. She's the queen and you're the king. And I said, well, that makes sense because she's allowed to go anywhere on the board she wants and I can only go one square at a time. <laughs> hey, stay away from that night or I'm calling the bishop. <laughs> but that's life, that's life, right? And they, they didn't teach us in school about life. I wish someone would have taught me about life. 
So I'm gonna show you all how life really progresses, what they did not teach us in school and what I wish they would have taught me. I don't care who you are or where you're from, we all live the same life and it goes like this. You wake up to your world about age 16. About age 16, you say to yourself, oh, I need to get a job one day. So I'm gonna have to work real hard at a skill to make money, but you know what? I wanna make a lot of money, so I'm gonna work and work and work to become an expert at a skill. And then one day out of the blue, I get a relationship going. Now I gotta keep the job going because she needs a lot of money. <laughs> but now not only do I have to be an expert at my job, all of a sudden I have to be an expert at relationships. This is hard. She wants me to be masculine yet sensitive. I don't know if I'm supposed to be Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise. <laughs> then we bought a house. Now I have to be a plumber. I have to be an electrician. I have to be a landscape artist. I have to be an expert at taxes. Now we have children. Now I'm a doc, oh shoot, I just lost one of the kids. <laughs> Hold on, we got another. <laughs> now I'm a doctor, I'm a mentor, I'm a theologian. And all of a sudden I hear from my wife, honey, I don't get enough attention. There is no time! <laughs> and that's how your life goes, how about that, huh? Somehow, when you were doing all that juggling and talking about life, I thought, I've never seen it put that way, but brother, you are spot on. Thank you. How in the Boy, world are we tired? No kidding. How'd you get started in show business? Well, I actually learned how to juggle at recess in the fifth grade. No go, kidding, for real? That a, yeah, yeah, but is that a start to show business? But it took off really quick. Within four years, when I was 14, I was on my first talk show as a guest on the Mike Douglas Show. You are kidding me. 41 years ago. Y'all remember the Mike Douglas Show? Absolutely. On yes, that, we this do. was like the highlight of my teen years. It was, <laughs> I'm hanging out with Sonny Bono, B. Arthur, Charlene Tilton, the Commodore. Wow. I spent all day in the Commodore's dressing room teaching them how to juggle. And like during the show, while they're playing, they would point off to me off camera. I'm like, this is the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> that and would then, be pretty cool. It was. And then God brings life back around, right? So I get 21, uh -huh. I moved to Los Angeles. Now I live in Los Angeles, cool. And now I'm in acting and show business and comedy. And then God brings it around again. The coolest years of my 30s, I was on a TV series called Malcolm and Eddie with Malcolm Jamal Warner and Eddie Griffin. Yeah. And um, we'd rehearse, you know, four days a week. The saxophone player comes walking to me. I go, hey man, I've known you for a few years. I had no idea, you are so talented. He goes, yeah, thanks. I go, I did a couple tours with Earth, Wind & Fire. He goes, I know those guys. I'm like, wow, uh, I work with Nathan and Marcel East, couple tours with them. He goes, yeah. I know those guys. He goes, I'm in a band called The Commodores. I go, I know those guys. <laughs> I go, wait a minute. Were you on the Mike Douglas show in 79? He goes, you were the kid. <laughs> you were the kid, you taught me how to juggle. I'm calling Lionel right now. <laughs> the guy that taught us how to juggle, I've been hanging with him for two years. <laughs> That's a true story. And now it's 20 years after that and I'm on this show for, with you. So tonight I'm gonna teach you how to juggle. So 20 years from now, you and I can look back and go, that was the best night of the 2021 year. You know, year. I think I could learn how, and let me tell you who can't do it. Larry Gatlin will never be able to juggle. <laughs> He's, uh, look at him, look at that face. He just looks hurt. Oh, I could teach him. I I, I can juggle. Okay, we're gonna check that out. <laughs> Ron, I tell you, you're one funny guy. We gotta have you back sometime. Thank, I would love to come back. Love Thank to you have so you much. back. You made me laugh, and I'm telling Good. you, 
We got to have more of that because if there is one thing in this world we need a whole lot more of right now, it is laughter. And you can find Ron's comedy. You can also get a lot more on his website, ronpearson.net. Also, check him out on social media. And if you have an event going on, wouldn't this be a great guy to have at your event or your church or your community, your corporation? I mean, he's already made the Mike Huckabee show. What else can you do? <laughs> All right. Larry Gatlin, tell us what we have coming up next. Okay, we have... Uh, professional rodeos Tyson Durfee and his wife, country music star Shay Fisher. They're next on Huckabee. Welcome back. Tyson Durfee is a world champion rodeo roper from Missouri, and Shay Fisher is a country music singer from Australia. Now, somehow, he roped her into marrying him. How about that? They're married, and they're making everything from great music to some of the cutest baby cowboy boots you've ever seen, and they've also made two very beautiful young daughters. It is my great pleasure to welcome two incredible talents and great personal friends of mine, Tyson Durfee, and Shay Fisher. Give them a nice welcome, please. Thank you. First of all, thank you guys for coming. I got to know you by going to the National Finals Rodeo, as my wife and I do every year. We love rodeo. I want people to see that patch on your shirt. Can we get a close-up <laughs> of that? Because I think it's pretty cool. You see that? Because Janet and I are so impressed with Tyson and Shay that we have uh, agreed to be some of their sponsors. Yeah. Because people don't understand, rodeo's a tough life. It is. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like being a musician. You travel all over the country, you know, you're bouncing from one city to the next city, sometimes two cities in one day. Yeah. And there's no guaranteed paycheck. If you win, it's like educated gambling. If you win, you can feed your family. If you don't, it's very difficult. So there's a lot of uh, emphasis on becoming a winner. <laughs> I love the cowboy culture yeah. because yeah. it's old school honor, mm. respect. Uh, one of the things that just amazes me at the NFR every year, the events start with a prayer, a very genuine prayer. Mm -hmm. Nobody takes a knee during the national anthem. And people love the country. They love the sport. They love the athletes who are out there. And I don't think, Tyson, most people have any idea how athletic one must be to do what you do. Yeah, you know, it's something I train at, you know, uh, but I want to take a step back. Like, our first responders, our servicemen and women, we love them as well as yeah. our Lord and Savior in the sport of rodeo. And we're not afraid of it. We're not afraid yeah. of it. And it doesn't matter if it's on primetime television or anything. We're going to stand up for what we believe in. Shay, you guys met rodeo stuff? We did. So I was actually living in Nashville at the time and happened to be in Texas at Houston Rodeo doing some work for a couple brands, doing some modeling. And I happened to see Tyson downstairs at the hospitality and I definitely wasn't looking for um, a rodeo cowboy because my dad was one. I always swore I would never marry a cowboy. Oh, but, that was um, your mistake right there. You yeah. know, God had yeah. other plans. But um, we met at Houston. I do remember um, seeing this redheaded cowboy win the rodeo. I do. That stuck in my <laughs> mind. And he was very persistent for the next two years. Yeah. Um, keeping in touch with me and asking for my phone number. And lo and behold, 
God had a plan and we ended up getting married. Yeah, well, to me, when I seen her, it was like a ray of light came down from heaven and the winds blew back and parted her hair. And I was like, this woman is gonna be my wife. And then I seen her, I heard her talk and she yeah. had the Australian accent and I just had a heart attack and fell over in that moment. Oh my God. But <laughs> that was to, it. Huh? Yeah, to, to be honest, it took me eight months to get her phone number. Really? And today's our anniversary, actually. Yeah. I know, happy yeah. anniversary to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. I can't think yeah. of a better place to have it than here. I know, right? I'm spending Tyson, one of the things that I have come to love and appreciate about uh, Cowboys and, and Rodeo is how tough this business is. Yeah. When you're riding, let's say, in the roping event, how fast is that horse going when you jump off the horse and run over there and grab the steer by the horns? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, about 30 to 35 miles an hour when you jump off the horse. I don't think most people, they just think, oh yeah, yeah. you're riding a horse, he's gonna yeah. jump off, he's gonna jump yeah. the dirt and then yeah. go and rope a cow. And yeah. gee, that's, that's real cool. <laughs> but there's a lot, I mean, it's not yeah. just the bull riding that there is great risk. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look at Tyson's season this year. Um, he made the finals, the very last rodeo, which was just a, a God thing. But this whole season, he's had um, three bulging discs in his back, yet trying to still compete and travel on the road. I mean, it's a it's a tough life. I mean, I give him credit this year because with everything going on in the world and then including being hurt and injured, but still trying to provide for his family, um, it definitely was one of the more challenging years for us. Well, your music career is uh, absolutely wonderful. You know, he, he's a world champion cowboy. You're a world champion singer. Uh, but I got to ask, because I think it's important, the pink shirt mm -hmm. that you wear, yeah. uh, I mean, that's unique. Why? Yeah, I've been doing it for 12 years now, and really it's to raise breast cancer awareness. Mm. So I, I did it in the beginning for my stepmother. Yeah. She was going through some cancer scares. She had two grapefruit-sized tumors on her ovaries, mm. and I did it to boost her spirits. And I said, you know what, I'm going to wear a pink shirt every time I compete, and I'm just going to Say it's because of you I'm doing this. Huh. And it lifted her spirits. And the next season, I wasn't going to do anything with it. I was just one time at the national finals and done. And I had so many people come up to me and say, you know, you lifted the spirits of my mother or my grandmother or my sister that I decided, you know what? Why not? Why not be the cowboy in pink all the time? That is beautiful. Yeah. One of the things you guys do when you're not doing the rodeo and you're doing the music is you make the most beautiful baby cowboy boots I've ever seen and buckles. Yes, actually. Wait, you've got one with you. I brought you a gift, Mike. <laughs> I want to see I it. I think you might like this, actually. I bet I will. All right. Let's see it. This is so cool, and it is available at SheaMichelleBuckles.com. Yes, we'll yeah. make sure we get that up. This is a beautiful buckle. It's a Trump 2020 with an American flag. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. Very neat. And so they have a whole array of boots and buckles and all sorts of things, yeah. which is a great way to kind of keep food on the table yeah. when the rodeos are not happening. Yeah. Exactly. I will see you guys in Fort Worth in December at the National Finals Rodeo. I wouldn't miss it. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for just loving this country, loving God, loving each other, and giving us a great example of why America is a wonderful place to live. Well, we appreciate it, and we know you and Janet are definitely, um, you know, big people that we look up to in our life. So thanks for being you guys. Thank you very, very much. I want you to check out Shay's new single called Imagine. Also, the rest of her music and a whole lot more at shayfisher.com. Check out Tyson Durfee's Rodeo Roper Mentorship Program at nolimitsmentorship.com. And be sure to look them up on social media. Check out these fantastic buckles and the boots as well. Cool stuff. 
Larry Gatlin, you'd look good in one of these buckles, I'm pretty sure. What else we got coming up? Uh, I'll take all gifts, anything free. I love it. Next country music singer, Shay Fisher, performs with Mike Trey and the band. You're watching Huckabee. Now here to perform her new hit single, Imagine, with Governor Huckby on bass, is Shay Fisher. Man up, show me there's magic. Just imagine. 